Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, everyone. I've been wanting to update my articles on the rapture, and eventually I'd actually like to update the book that I've already published on this subject. For now, though, I want this article to kind of suffice, or at least one of these articles and possibly one more. I'm not going to deal with the timing of the rapture itself pre-mid or pre-wrath in this particular article, except to point out that I do not believe the post-trib rapture position is even an option in the Bible, and I'll explain why uh, throughout this article. The title of this article, There is One Second Coming, while not including the rapture, in that title, has everything to do with it, in my opinion. Now, I realize there are some within normative dispensationalism uh, who believe that and teach that the second coming has two parts, the rapture and then the actual second coming. However, in my opinion, the two are not related to one another at all. They're completely separate events. The second coming is directly connected to the tribulation, actually bringing the tribulation to its end. Now, I believe the rapture will occur at some point prior to the tribulation beginning. Uh, I'd like to state unequivocally, though, that for me, this is not, not a hill to die on. Unfortunately, it has become that for many people in society today, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate. Generally speaking, for those who believe the rapture is part of the actual physical coming, which clearly occurs at the end of the tribulation, according to scripture, they tend to believe that it goes something like this based on scripture. And by the way, I'm talking about post-trib rapturous. Let's look at the text, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. He's talking. Paul's talking about those who have died uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, most people understand that in the Latin Vulgate, the word rapturo is where we get the word rapture, translated to English, and that means caught up or to catch away. So for those who say constantly that the word rapture is not in Scripture, they're wrong, as it clearly is in the Latin. The word trinity is not in Scripture either uh, in our English versions, but yet the doctrine of the trinity can be clearly understood from the Bible itself. I realize there are those like J.D. Um, T.D. Jakes, excuse me, who believe in a oneness gospel that God is one and that sometimes he is God the Father, then God the Holy Spirit, then God the Son. Um, sorry, that, that does not hold up to Scripture. It's heresy, if you will. I'm sorry to say. But let's get back to this. The post-trip rapturist will argue that in ancient days and even during Jesus's day, when a dignitary would arrive to a town, city, or location, it was common for the people of that area to go out, to run out and meet that dignitary and accompany that individual back to their town, their city, or their location, which was the intended destination of that dignitary. They're just kind of walking with that person back in the final stage of their travels to their destination. This was part of the culture of those days. And in some parts of the world, it is still expressed. So when I read commentaries or articles by people who apply this to the Jesus's second coming, I pause and I consider. 
They state that when Jesus returns physically to this world at the end of the tribulation, the verse here in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians I just read explains what happens then. Now, first I notice that Paul does not include these words in the above text or anything like it. Quote, after we are caught up to be with the Lord, we will accompany him back to earth, unquote. He never says that. It's implied, I guess you could argue that. It's not in the text, and I would argue that it's not even really necessarily implied either. But post-tribbers tend to read into that text based on their understanding of an approaching dignitary to a specific location and how that person is greeted, then accompanied back to that final destination. What the post-tribber is doing there, in my opinion, is called eisegesis. They are, of course, reading into the text. Of course, they're going to deny that. They're going to deny, no, that's not what we're doing, they'll say. They say they are simply extending the action as they believe it will naturally occur based on the cultures of Jesus' day and how royalty and dignitaries were received. I get that. I honestly do. And when Jesus returns in his second coming, he will be coming back as a dignitary, a king, and a judge. I get that. But I still say that the post-tribber specifically is missing something, and it's huge. Let's take a look at John 14, 1-3. I believe the words of our Lord in the Gospel of John help us flesh out what he means, what he means, and what he will be doing. Let's look at the text. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me as well. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you... I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here as they're part of the bride, the church, right? He is telling them several things that are extremely important. These are in my own words. Don't be troubled or upset that I'm leaving My father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to my father's house to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back to get you. When I come to get you, I will welcome you into my presence. You will then be with me always and will be where I am going soon. As he was telling the disciples, you know where I'm going. Hmm. Now. In the situation regarding dignitaries arriving to a location, the people are the ones who welcome that dignitary to themselves, into their town, their village, their location. In Jesus' case, please note, something else happens. Jesus is going to welcome us into his presence. This makes all the difference in the world because we will be joining him ultimately where? In his father's house. In his father's house. Jesus is speaking to his disciples very much like the Jewish bridegroom speaks to his bride. In fact, we know that the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 24 to 27, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Jesus has betrothed himself to the church, his bride, and we to him. Okay, so, so what? 
Well, in order to fully understand John 14, 1-3, and other sections of Scripture that deal with the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50-54, we must understand that we've got to understand it from the perspective of the Jewish wedding ceremony and process. Dr. Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum, in his book, Footsteps of the Messiah deals with this in detail. I've got a link in the in the transcript to a PDF excerpt from his book, and I highly recommend you buying the book. It's an absolute needed book. In the Jewish wedding process, the bride and the groom become betrothed in a public ceremony. That's the first stage. They literally enter into a covenant of marriage, which is legal and binding. Following this public ceremony, the two separate because the bridegroom goes away. Where? To his father's house. Why? To add on a room to his father's house for when he brings his bride to him at some point in the future. Often this process can take a year or more with the bridegroom gathering materials to physically add on to his father's home and then other materials to furnish their place in this new addition. And in general, the bridegroom is making everything prepared and ready for that day when it finally arrives, when he can physically go and get his bride and bring her back to his father's house with their newly prepared living quarters. Isn't that what Jesus just said to his disciples in John 14, 1 to 3, that he is going to do? If he is going to do that, let me ask you a question. Why would Jesus do that? If he is going to return to the earth, we're going to go up to meet him and then we're all coming back to the earth. Why would Jesus tell us that he is going to prepare rooms for us in his father's house? But according to the post-tribber view, we're not ever going to really see that. At the right time, the bridegroom will go to his betrothed home, his bride, and he is going to her home. As he is going, he will sound the shofar to announce that he is on the way. Just as was reenacted in the movie Before the Wrath that I did a write-up on previously. This blowing of the horn is celebratory, and it is used to notify his bride that he is on the way to get her. This is reflected in the first Corinthian passage noted above when Paul was explaining it to the Corinthian believers. Okay, so what happens when the bride hears the shofar and realizes her bridegroom is on the way to get her? She is extremely excited because she has been waiting, working, and watching for this day to arrive, and it has finally arrived. It's here. So what happens next? Well, the bride and her entourage hear the shofar and the cry of the bridegroom and his entourage, and they go out to meet the bridegroom as he approaches the bride's chambers. So far, Looks like we're right in line with what post-tribbers believe about the rapture, isn't it? However, this next part is where we differ completely from that and makes all, makes all the difference in the world. As I've stated, the general post-trib rapture position is that just as a dignitary arrives to a geographical location and the people of that area run out to meet him or her, they then will accompany that dignitary back 
to where they came from because that is the intended destination of the dignitary. That's why he's coming. His intent all along was to come completely back to where those people are. This fits perfectly with the second coming of Jesus because he is the dignitary, the king, the judge returning to this earth. But it doesn't fit the situation concerning the rapture. The problem with this view that post-tribbers say applies to the rapture as the second coming, as part of it, is that as far as the church, the bride of Christ is concerned, we do not see Jesus as a dignitary. We see him as our bridegroom. And because of this exceedingly important fact, it changes everything. In the parable of the ten virgins, we see this clearly played out with additional information provided by our Lord. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. That's where the parable of the ten virgins is. Now, in this parable, the ten virgins are all gathered together to wait for the coming of the bridegroom. They wake at midnight to the cry of the bridegroom that he is on the way to them, and they trim their lamps. However, five of these virgins were foolish because they really did not have enough oil. In essence, Jesus is telling us that these five were not authentic believers because they lacked the Holy Spirit. The other five virgins were fully prepared, authentic believers with the Holy Spirit. The five foolish virgins tried to get to the wise virgins to share their oil. Well, that's impossible anyway, but in this sense, it it could have worked, but, but it wasn't workable because the wise virgins would have been short their oil. So the five foolish virgins had to go out and try to buy some oil. And during that time away, something strange happens. Note that the text tells us, verse 10, but while they, the five foolish virgins, were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins were ready, or who were ready, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Hmm. Please notice that the wedding banquet takes place in a separate place from the bride's quarters. In other words, the bridegroom in the parable has blown his shofar and called to his bride as he approaches to come out and meet him. Before the wrath, the movie talked about that in the Galilean wedding culture, the bride sat on a litter which was held aloft by others as they, quote, caught her up to go to her bridegroom. Unfortunately, as I mentioned in that review of that movie, the producers didn't really provide the actual evidence of this alleged fact. Nonetheless, what is important from scripture is that the bride goes out to meet her bridegroom and he then receives her to himself and she then joins him where he is, which is at the banquet room in preparation for the official wedding ceremony. This will be followed by the bride and the bridegroom going to the room or rooms that the bridegroom has added onto his father's house. Now, if Jesus told us in John 14, one to three, that he has gone to his father's house or he was going to go to his father's house for the express purpose of preparing a place for us, his bride and will come back to get us so that we may be with him forever? How can this even remotely mean that we are going to go out to meet him in his second coming, then return to stay on this earth? How can it even possibly mean that? Is Jesus preparing a place for us on this earth now? 
No, absolutely not. He is in the third heaven now where the throne of God exists, and it is there that he is preparing a place for us. So when the rapture occurs, he will reenact the Jewish wedding ceremony by simply stepping out of the third heaven to come toward us. A horn will blow and a voice of the archangel will cry out and all who are part of the authentic church, the bride of Christ will hear it, will then be caught up, rapturo, in the clouds to be with our Lord, our God, our Savior, and our bridegroom forever and ever. We will follow him back to heaven, and we will see for the first time the place that Jesus has prepared for us there in heaven since his ascension. Now, it's for this reason And these reasons that I've mentioned that I do not believe the post-trib rapture view has any merit whatsoever. And I'm not trying to offend anyone who might hold to that view. I'm simply drawing evidence from the Bible itself and presenting it. There is a huge Jewish wedding ceremony motif in scripture with respect to the church, the bride of Christ, and our bridegroom himself, Jesus. It is implied reflected and taught in numerous passages of scripture and parables in the Bible. Now, in an upcoming article, I'm going to talk about the timing of the rapture, and I also promise to get back to my series on Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. I hope you join me then. And in the meantime, until we meet again, I pray, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 